Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour, and him, the former Triple Crown winner and snooker world champion, the magician, Sean Murphy. Well, he's done it again, hasn't he? Mark Allen, another week, another ranking title, this time the UK Championship. It was a valiant effort by you, though, Mr. Murphy. I had a good run, actually, yeah, Phil, good to see you. Um... Another great, you know, tournament in York comes and goes another year. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just fast forward straight to the final. I mean, after the first session trailing 6-2, showed nothing. Um, who would have thought Mark Allen would come back? Um, with some help from his opponent, it would have to be said, you know, Ding played the worst. He played all week uh, in the last session of the tournament, just when he needed it most. It, it wasn't there. Um, but Mark got stronger and stronger. And um a very, very valiant and valid winner in the end. Unbelievable. Certainly was. Now, it's got to be said, this is... Is this the first time since the first podcast we've actually been face-to-face doing a podcast? It is. It is. Just to explain, we are in a hotel room in York, the best city in the world, no doubt. And you can't say anything else, Sean, because you are here in it, so I'll get you lynched if you do. Okay, we are in a hotel here in York. Uh, we are face-to-face. It is the Monday, the day after the final of the UK Championships. For those non-snooker viewers who listen to podcasts, I know you are out there, UK Championships ended in York last night. Mark Allen won it off the back of winning the Northern Ireland Open for the for the second consecutive year, off the back of the final of the British Open. Um, it's fair to say he's a, he's a good friend of yours, Sean. I know you were practising with him before you came over here to York, and he is in sensational form. Sensational form, and uh, the man of the season so far. Of course, Ronnie, you know, won the, the two invitation events, you know, with, uh, uh, of course, you know, always plays to a very, very high standard. But in terms of ranking events, in terms of events that count, it's been Mark Allen's season so far and he's way out ahead on the one-year list, you know, uh, points earned so far this season with like 50,000 different types of ranking lists. <laughs> but just on the one about this season so far, he's way ahead. 
you know, obviously assured of being in the World Grand Prix, Players Champs, Tour Champs for about five years, I think. So he's, um, <laughs> he's got point after point. Just to just to make it absolutely clear, I should have been going home today. I should have been going back to Dublin for, for three or four days before returning uh, back later in the week for the German Masters qualifiers. But we were able to go face-to-face uh, for this pod because my little boy has chicken pox back in Dublin. And I've somehow made it to 40 years of age without getting it. So I can't risk going back. I can't believe you've done that. How on earth do you get to 40 without getting it? In, when I was a kid, right, it might just have been that my mum's evil, I don't know, but the first kid in the, in the street that got chicken pox, we were all around there for a chicken pox party. Like, literally, get around there, rub your face in there, make sure you get them, son. <laughs> you need chicken pox, get them now before you too And Because when you're older, it can be quite devastating. But Harry, back there in Dublin, get well soon, little man. Yeah, bless him. And he's, you know, I'm FaceTiming him every day and stuff. He's finding it difficult. But yeah, listen, that's one of those things. If I go, I'm guaranteed to get it. Uh, Guaranteed then to go ahead and miss the qualifiers for the German Masters. Probably miss the Scottish Open. And, um, you know, I I just can't do that. So I'm here. I'm going to go down to Sheffield and, and hit some balls at some of the academies there for a few days. And I'll find myself in Leicester from Friday at 10 o'clock to uh, go in the German Masters. Absolutely. But Harry, when your dad does get home, he has got a nice aeroplane for you, which was given to me over in Belfast by Petra, who's a listener of ours um, and also an air hostess for Jet 2, I think. That's already Um, done more miles than Harry has. It has, yeah. (laughs) He's flown back from Belfast with me. He's going to go back to Dublin with you. But Harry, there is a plane on its way to you, courtesy of one of our listeners. Now, just talking of our listeners... um, We'd like to dedicate the podcast today to Barry Wilson, who passed away at the weekend, 41 years of age, uh, massive snooker fan. He'd sent a question in previously to the podcast, um, battled a long illness. Now, he's, he's friends with lots of other snooker fans. So, uh, yeah, Barry Wilson, rest in peace. This uh, this one is in memory of yours. I was asked to do that by um, some good listeners of the podcast and uh, more, more than happy to do that. So, uh, yeah, this one's for you, Barry. Now, just to... To go through the UK's a little bit, some really, really notable performances. I will start with you, even though I'm sat right opposite you. I don't blow any smoke up, but great to see. You you knocked Judd Trump out um, in a, a pretty pretty easy conventional victory over Judd, wasn't it? Uh, oh and, and yeah, good performance, so Sean. You must be feeling good, apart yeah. from your neck and back. Yeah, I mean, I listen, I have constant uh, problems with the, with the neck and the back. I think I'm just going to have to learn to live with that. And it flares up and sometimes it's, you know, I can play through it and Sometimes I can't. Uh, but the week was was good for me. And, and, you know, I just ran into Superman, a.k.a. Jack Lazowski, uh, who played the best snooker I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, I've, you know, I've been playing snooker since I was eight years of age, um, bar the odd little one frame here or there. That was the best snooker I've ever witnessed firsthand that he played in that best of 11 match. I was. It was just unbelievable to witness. Anyone who was in the arena that night or watched it, were, were, were privileged to see it because you, you don't see snooker like that very often. I think against anyone else or if he'd played slightly worse and I could have got on top of him in some way, I might have had a chance. But um, it was just unbelievable to witness. And, you know, good signs for my game. You know, the, the week run here to the quarters uh, got has got me into the World Grand Prix. As it stands, I'm in the Players' Champs as well, solidified my place in the Masters in the new year. Uh, so lots of positives uh, and... Um, as I say, if I hadn't run into a superhero, uh, you know, maybe it would have been Mark and I or, or somebody else going for the for the title at the end of the week. Not to be, and I roll on to the next tournament. But uh, positives, yeah, definitely. You, you you know you you look great in your game. And to come back, anyone to come back, anyone to just beat Judd, anyone to come back from the position you were in to beat Judd, phenomenal performance. So yeah, your game's in a good place. I've said it before. You've got titles left. We will see that moonwalk 
We will. I know we tweeted out, could it be moonwalk time? We will see that moonwalk. We will see it this season. I am absolutely sure. Just on your victor, though, Jack Lazowski. Now, it's a cliche that, that Jack is the, the best player never to have won a ranking title. He is the best player never to have won a ranking title. Cliches only become cliches because they are true. He's a phenomenal talent. And I had to interview him after, I think, his last two ranking finals that he'd lost. Um, I think they were both against Judd as well. And I had to interview him live on Eurosport in the arena with no crowds. Um, and it was horrible. He's the most likable lad. He's a, an amazing talent. Clearly, Peter Ebden is, is making real positive changes, sat there doing his Sudokus in the crowd. Um, but he's, you know, he is making a positive change. It is only a matter of time, isn't it? I, I think it is now he's got someone like Peter in his corner. Uh, we take the mickey a little bit about the notebook and what was he writing, you know, what could he be writing in there? You know, Jack was playing so well. But it is those fine margins and it is the fine margins that only someone of Peter's knowledge and, you know, snooker sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But, you know, the, the, how, how in-depth he understands the game and how, you know, well he's played the game. It's only somebody like that that could spot those tiny little margins that can make all the difference. He was scribbling away there. Uh, when Jack lost the match eventually to Mark Allen 6-5 from being 5-3 up. So there'll be a few little pointers in there and they'll sit down and re-watch that match. They will like a an air crash investigation programme, right, where did this go wrong? And they'll source it back to some, you know, very innocent looking shot that Jack will have played and that was where the, the, the trouble started. But I think having someone like Peter in his corner, um, a bit of an older head, someone who can sympathise with him, who sat that out there in the arena as well, felt those highs, felt those lows, um, someone who's experienced all of those things is just the right person. Not sure you'd put them together. You know, I'm not <laughs> sure they're a. I'm not sure they're an obvious partnership. But but you know, having somebody like that in your corner is uh, is only positive. And I, I I'm you know, if I needed any convincing, um, I think that will be the difference to Jack Jack's game. Yeah, it was some performance. It really was. I mean, just just to watch it as a snooker fan, it can't be that much sitting sitting in the other chair. But as a snooker fan, to watch that was was phenomenal to see. Jack himself on his own Instagram has taken the mick uh, this afternoon, I think, on Instagram. He's put a picture of Peter in the crowd there with his notebook. And then the next picture on his story has got It's Coming Home written in pencil on the sheet, which I is good humility. Jack's, Jack's a character. He's, uh, he's quite a fun guy. And, um, yeah, it was, it was great to see. Great to see Jack Lazowski playing well. It really is. Um, Judd, who you beat, Judd was looking, n- until you suddenly came back and, and took him to clean, Judd was looking good as well this week. I think Judd always looks good, doesn't he? You know, he's that type of player, that type of person. You know, you don't get to achieve what he's achieved in the game and be ranked where he is without, you know, always playing to a very high level. Uh, and, um, you know, it's a surprise when he doesn't go deep in tournaments. Of course, you know, I, I, I had to sort of find something very, very special to beat him, especially, you know, trailing two down with three to go. Um, but I just got those first chances in the frames, as I said at the time, and was able to string a few pots together. I played quite well in the first round as well against David Gilbert. He was in good good stroke. Um, and I think we said, it was certainly said a lot anyway, going into this year's UK champs, that with the with the change to the system, the fact that you know the, the 16 qualifiers had come through two, three, four rounds to get to the Barbican, they would be sharp, the standards would be very high. And I think you saw that. I think you saw that play out. You know, there was at least half the top 16, if not more, didn't make it through round one. Um, when was the last time that happened? You know, the game's changing and uh, it's going to be exciting for the rest of the season, for sure. It's really interesting. We'll touch on that in a minute, actually, because I think it's really important we, we dig into that a little bit because there were quite a lot of big changes and, and a lot of them very positive. Um, before we do, though, just um, 
other players who, who sort of stood out for me, Sam Craigie. Now, Sam Craigie is a, a player of undoubted talent, a um, little bit controversial at times. I know um, Mark Selby's gone on record saying he helped him, he helped to fund him. He didn't apply himself. Sam makes makes light of that on social media. Always, he always puts, oh, imagine what I could do if I could practice every single time he wins. Um, but good performances from him this week. He looked he looked really really solid and, and did very well. Well, I know I know we're going back a couple of years. I, I, I took a little bit of criticism from 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 certain people, not many, but certain people with the old uh, the fist pumps at the crucible, and people were saying, oh, um, you know, if if Sean wanted to, if Kyron Wilson needed a, a pep talk, Sean's just giving it to him. Uh, and of course, I wasn't doing it for that. You know, I was doing it in you know in the moment and was just enjoying the moment. But I think if 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 Sam Craigie needed any kind of team talk or a pep talk, Mark Selby gave it to him when very very sort of out of the blue. Uh, Mark commented on Sam's apparent lack of dedication to snooker over the last few years, live in an interview on Eurosport. Uh, and I thought it was a little it was a little unfair to do that, you know, to, to Sam. Um, called him out, really, f- from nowhere. There was no need for it. Um, and results would dictate in the last week or so that, that that Sam has taken that and used it for motivation, and it worked. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and Sam listens to the podcast. I had a chat with him this week uh, online, and he listens to the podcast. He, he, he said that he, he really enjoys it, listens to it on his way to practice. So that's, what, once a month, once every six weeks, something like that, if you listen to Mark. <laughs> But he listens to it. Now, another thing I want to talk about Sam Craigie is his walk-on music. Now, you claim to have the best walk-on music in snooker, which is? Disco Inferno. Disco Inferno. Sam Craigie wipes the floor with that big time. He has CC Rider by Elvis Presley, which is the instrumental drums and horn section that Elvis used to to take the stage to in Vegas. Oh, it's fantastic, Sean. I've played it to you just for this podcast. You've got to admit, it's great. It's great. It, it is great, and I, you know, I'm not comparing myself to El- Elvis Presley, uh, but I don't think I can let you have that. That it's that it's that it's oh, any better than, than mine. I, I, Sam, listen, mate. You know, this is nothing against you, but Phil, Phil is just Phil. You're being ridiculous, and um, you may you may wear the rhinestone waistcoat, okay? Yes. Like like Elvis's jumpsuit. You don't I may have the, well. You don't have the figure for Elvis's jumpsuits anymore. Not in the Vegas years, anyway. <laughs> okay, not since you've lost all the weight, but. No, I'm, I'm having that one. CC Ryder, Elvis Presley. What a walk-on tune, Sam Craigie. Keep that one forever, Sam. I'll tell you what I'll do, guys. Get into the comments. Let us know who's got the best walk-on music on tour. I'm confident that if we polled the entire Snooker family, which amazingly is more than just us listening to this, <laughs> I, I think if we polled everyone, my walk-on music would come out top. Disco Inferno. By some distance. Well, you've got Mark Allen's got Sweet Caroline, which is Worst polarizing. One Polar- Worst one of all polarizing. time. polarizing. Some people love it. Some people don't. Okay, you've got Disco Inferno. Sam Craigie's got the best one, which is CC Ryder, Elvis Presley. Um, there's some real duffers out there, aren't there? There's some horrendous There's ones. some duffers, yeah. There is some stinkers. I'll tell you who's good is Dave Gilberts. Dave Gilberts is good. Um, I've forgotten the name of the song now. But uh, <laughs> do you remember when he came out of the Crucible and it was um, Fatalist? Oh, Faithless, yeah, yeah, Insomnia, is it? Phenomenal, yeah, yeah. phenomenal crowd. Still not as good as mine, See, Dave, why, but it was Dave, very good. Dave Gilbert, the angry farmer. What's wrong with I've got a brand new combine harvester by Ads Cutler and the Wurzels? Come on. See, you're going down. You'll you'll be telling me you like Rob Milkins' is I Am A Cider Drinker next, Oh, it's you? classic. Well, oh, that's the other Ads Cutler one. It's this an is absolute who we are, isn't belter, it? This isn't is, it? This is who you are. You can't help it, Phil. This is just who you are. Hey, you know, you've got to have exciting walk-on music. What can I say? Now, just... 
Let's go back to a few of the comments that were made. You, as always, uh, hid your light under a bushel, kept your head down and didn't say anything controversial, Sean. <laughs> it's a nice quiet week for me. <laughs> nice quiet week, as always. Um, Ronnie made a few comments, as Ronnie tends to make a few comments. Um, you know, he, he came out and he said that snooker is not really that important to him and, and different things, and he just comes out and he enjoys playing, and, and that's about it. Um, you took a fair old swipe at him, I think, in the studio and uh, and in the media. And then, Mark, a little bit of a dig as well in the studio, which I saw in the Eurosport studio. So, um, yeah, just talk us through some of that. I, I think in general, I think, you know, most of us m- most of us inside the snooker bubble uh, take a little bit, or take most of what Ronnie says, sort of, you know, with a pinch of salt or a bit tongue-in-cheek. Often he's, you know, having a bit of a laugh with the camera guys or the media team. He doesn't necessarily 100% mean the things he says. But the problem is, is that the, the public out there... Um, you know, they believe him. And uh, that's that's dangerous. You know, we're talking about the reputation of the sport. Um, and uh, that that's very, very dangerous. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of the... He just he contradicts himself with a, with a lot of the things he says. Um, you know, he, he said in one interview that, that, that snooker means nothing to him and it's just something for him to do. Uh, the next interview he gave two days later, he said, well, you know, I'm trying my best and when I'm out there, if I lose, it's a disaster. You know, those two things don't go together. So in the studio, you know, he he, he 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 went on about how little snooker means to him, and it causes him so much stress, and he feels under attack when he's at events, and he doesn't really want to be there. And the obvious question there is, why why are you here then? You know, why do you keep coming? Which was, you know, what I asked him live on the BBC. Um, and I think that's just, you know, that's the that's I suppose that's my thing that I'm trying to bring to my role as a pundit, and you know. Uh, is is that honesty and that directness and just asking the question that I think you know when I look down my social media timelines these are the questions that people want asking um the other thing I would say and I've said this before you know uh, about Ronnie it it is okay for him to say these things uh, and to say how little the game means to him when you've achieved so much uh, and there are only a handful of people who uh, can put themselves you know in his shoes uh, and have a go at imagining what life must be like to have seven world titles, seven masters, seven UKs, have achieved all these things. I'm sure the game doesn't mean to him the same as it means to pretty much everyone else. Um, but he has to remember that he's not just representing himself out there. He is representing the game as a whole. Uh, and when he damages the game, he damages it for everybody. Uh, and, uh, you know, he owes the game a little bit more than that. Question for you then. If, if or when... When he retires, when he decides to walk away from the sport, good or bad thing for snooker? What effect will it have? Uh, yeah, I think uh, that's something that you know we, we see on Twitter. Certainly, you know, a lot of the time, people saying you know he is not not necessarily bigger than the game, but you know he is the game's biggest draw. There's no question about that. He's, he moves the needle when he plays. They used to say that of Tiger Woods. You know, you could see the viewing figures change when he was playing golf, and Ronnie is exactly the same. There's no question about that at all. When he took that year off, um, you know, nearly 10 years ago, whatever it was, um, World Snooker, uh, you know, attained their biggest level of ticket sales. Viewing figures were, were, I think, on a par, if not better, than the year before. And so in every measurable way, Snooker seemed to do okay without Ronnie O'Sullivan. He isn't bigger than Snooker. Uh, and Snooker was here before him, and it will be here after him. Um, but, you know, Snooker is certainly more exciting, uh, and... It, it benefits from having somebody like him in it. Um, I just, you know, you don't have to be a rebel all the time. Sometimes it, it is okay to be a good ambassador uh, and to try and leave the game better than it was the day you took it up. And 
you know, whilst Ronnie has exceeded expectations probably in everywhere, in every part of the game, in every facet of snooker, certainly on the table, I think he's left himself some way short in terms of his ambassadorial roles. It's funny, he does say these things that snooker doesn't matter to him and blah, blah, blah. Um, the tears at the Crucible earlier this year, the, the three and a half hour hug he gave Judd Trump at the end of that match. You know, there's like you said, there, there are contradictions there. Personally, I think he's amazing. He's an amazing player. You know, he, oh. he is, he's the greatest to have without question, without any doubt at all. Um, but I think it's right that the likes of yourself and, and Mark Allen should call him out. You've got a platform as well. And if you see, see things like that you don't think are right, I think it's right you do call it out. Now, just going back to the UK Champions Championships, I was there Tuesday working in the reporter role for Eurosport and Discovery. I had a great day, actually. It was brilliant to be back on the snooker. Great to see all the snooker family that, that you see there from the, the fans to the players to the, the cameramen to the, the world snooker tour people to the crew. Um, and I got a lovely greeting from Hazel Irving. Now, I'd not seen Hazel since pre-COVID, since, since before the world all went mental. And she came up, gave me a lovely hug, and she chatted away. She was you in the studio I think but took the time sat there chatted away she really is the consummate professional isn't she and she's lovely she's unbelievable and um, you know I've got to see you know a lot more of her uh, up close you know now I'm working in the studio and stuff for BBC and you just witness just how good she is um, you know when you're anchoring these shows when you're being the lead you know, and, and, and doing the intros and the outs and the the, the, the the things in the in the arena and the links and all of those stuff. And you've got the earpiece, you're listening to the director and the editor and the, all the counts. And, you know, there's a lot going on and you would never know for a second that she wasn't in complete control of everything she touches. Uh, the professionalism uh, and, the you know, how courteous she is. She's a wonderful lady. Um, and I've watched her with people. She meets somebody and she knows their children's names. It's as if she's got an invisible helper. Yeah. You know, whispering into her ear as she meets you and says, oh, uh, you know, this is him and this is what he does. And she just knows almost her power of recollection is unbelievable. And she just goes, bang. And she's so nice with it. A wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, but probably more important, she's she's an absolute pro at what she does. Oh, she's yeah, she she really is amazing. So that, that was great. Great to see all the, all the snooker people again. Um, you know, like I said, everyone from World Snooker, the cameramen and, and everyone else. Um, and I was deputising for Rachel Casey, who, Radzi, who's in the studio for Eurosport, the Triple Crown events, he had to be away for a day doing something else. So Rachel went from the reporting role into the studio, which I think she's absolutely brilliant at. And I deputised for her. Rachel said to me that she listens to the podcast and enjoys it. So hello, Rachel Casey, listening wherever you are. Um, lovely to see you last week. Now, a few things about the tournament. There was two instances of calling a foul on yourself happened. Now, the last uh, podcast we talked about the the lack of a handshake after a one four seven, and how, yeah, it's not in the rules, it's not a forced thing, but it's the thing to do. You know, it's just part of the right conduct. We saw both yourself and Mark Allen um, call a foul on, on yourselves. Mark, actually, I think he was going he was going up to the top corner of the table, wasn't he? There were two balls right next to each other, and he actually asked Desi Slava, or Desi, the referee, to go round so she, she could be close, and he asked her to stand in line of his shot just so she could get near to see. As it is, he, he struck it. He hit, I think, it was, was it the green ball? Hit the green first, yeah. <clears throat> hit the green first. He called it on himself before Desi did anyway. Correctly, you called yourself for a push shot, uh, I think in the game against Jack. Um, as a fan, as someone who's grown up with this, and, and like we said, you probably can't say it's gentlemanly conduct nowadays, but it's the right conduct, I believe. 
personally, it's great to see things like that still happening in the sport. Yeah, you'd be hard-pushed to find it somewhere else, though, wouldn't you? It doesn't happen in many sports these days. Um, I think golf, it happens quite a lot. Players are calling penalties on themselves, or they're very, very honest. Of course, there's cameras everywhere, and you wouldn't get away yeah. with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is one of those things that not separates snooker from, from other sports. I wouldn't want to be that demeaning to anyone any other sport, but it, but it's certainly it's certainly a good thing for us, and, it, and it's something we've traded off for many years. Um, that, that, that sort of old-fashioned etiquette. Uh, of being honest and stuff, it's a, it's a thing lost. I mean, if you look at football, you know they're 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 trying to kid the referee into giving them cards and penalties all the time. They're pretending the ball's still in play when it's not. They're diving. They're doing all this stuff. Meanwhile, I'm declaring a shot on if that was a foul that nobody really saw. The ref didn't see, and it was my last shot. Yeah, that was the end of the match. So that's the difference be- between sports. Our sport is 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 built on those etiquettes and those cultures. And uh, it's something that the vast majority of the players, you know, have bought into. Yeah, it's just, it's great to see. Personally, like I say, as a, as a snooker fan, as someone who's involved in the game, it's great to see that it's still being done the right way. And it's the cheating that annoys me about football nowadays. It winds me up the rolling around and everything else. Um, so, yeah, it's just good to see. Now, let's just touch on the changes to the UK Championships. You've already mentioned them very briefly before. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, it used to be that all 128 players came to York to the venue we had four tables in the main arena is that right and then four out the back um in what was called different things from the sports hall to the car park to to different things so there was eight tables four in the front with all all the seats four in the back with some seats but very few people would ever go out there it changed this year so qualifiers were held in Sheffield the, the week before the top 16 players were seeded through to York, so they they would play at the Barbican. And instead of there being eight tables, four in front, four out the back, there was just two tables in the main arena, which then went down to one table for the semi-finals. Um, there was a lot of sort of dissension in the ranks before the tournament. There was quite a lot of players. It's got to be said outside the top sixteen who weren't happy. They weren't happy about the fact they didn't come to York. They didn't play at the Barbican. Um, they had to just go to Sheffield to play them. What, what was your take on that? Yeah, it was very interesting because, um, you know, we talked about these little meetings we have before these coffee mornings and these, you know, informal players' meetings and stuff. And the split the split actually was 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 more than 50-50. I'd say 60-40 in favour of the changes. Um, the, va- the majority of the tour uh, were, were happy with the changes. There were some who were a little bit disgruntled that they'd now have to qualify for an event that they'd been in last year by rights. Um but it, it, it's 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 a real sort of complicated mixture to, to to solve because you've got two veins of thought. You've got people like me that think everyone on the tour, if you hold a tour card, you should be in at the first round. I don't want protection. I don't want to start three, four rounds ahead of everyone else. If I win a tournament, I want to know that I've won it fairly and squarely, not because I was, you know, uh, dropped into round four. You know, I want to start in round one. Um but the way they used to do the UK champs was a seeding system of number one plays number one two eight, number two plays one two seven, and so on and so forth. So for the new players getting on or very low rank pros, they'd often be playing a top sixteen player first poke, which is obviously very difficult, not great for anyone really, and um, not the system I grew up under. When I turned pro, I was playing pros in early tournaments of, of a similar ranking. They had a different structure then. And it's kind of how do you marry the two together? How do you have a flat draw where everyone starts in the first round, but you're not playing superheroes from from the get go? And so this is a bit of a compromise. And widely, I think the the changes were were accepted and praised. 
Well, I think I think there were, yes. What it did mean, it guaranteed the top 16 players would play at York. It guaranteed that there was only two tables in the arena, so everyone got to see all of the action. Um, just on the arena, I thought the arena looked fantastic. The the walk-ons, the, the, the video board walls around it, the... The whole finish of that arena, the seating area you had in the corner, all of it looked fantastic. Looked really good. It looked like a triple crown event, okay? It looked like a real blue ribbon event, which is brilliant, okay? So fair play to to Katie, I think it was, who was the event director, and and everyone behind the scenes at World Snooker Tour that made that difference. It's made a great change. Now, something else um, on this podcast, on the Snooker Scene podcast with Dave Hendon, on Nick and Phil's Talking Snooker podcast. In the last few months, we've all discussed fan experience, okay? And how can it get better? How can it improve? It's got to get better from where it was. Now, there's been a lot said this this last week, and when I was there, a lot of the players were talking about it. Um, there was fan zone areas out in the lobbies with different games to play. There was a green screen to have your pitch taken in front of with you. They can put your favourite player on it. There was one of those buzz wire things it was like a ski snooker thing but the main thing for me that changed in the back where we used to have the four tables and two men and a dog out there to watch them in the dark you now have the queue zone which the queue zone was always out front but it was always very tight just in the lobby you've got the queue zone out the back now off the queue zone you've got viewing windows into the Eurosport studio and practice tables so people can go in there into the queue zone watch the players actually practicing on there and in the queue zone, we had players going in there. We had yourself, Mark Allen, Joe Perry, Judd Trump, Jack Lazowski. The videos are all online there, and they're fantastic. And it was really funny. I was um, I was chatting to Judd. Uh, I interviewed him for Eurosport on the Tuesday, and I mentioned this. And I said, you know, you've been calling for this this kind of thing. Will we be seeing you in there? And he, he said, yeah, I've got no problem with going in there at all. The very next day, I'm not saying it's anything to do with me. The very next day, he was in there, and him and Jack put on a bit of a masterclass for the fans. And it was fantastic to see. Now, firstly, not only is that really positive and, and hats off to everyone involved in organising that and thinking it up and everything else, and the WPBSA coaches that were in there doing the coaching as well, that wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't done the way it was done with the top 16 and qualifiers beforehand because that room before would have been used for four tables, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And as I say, you know, it's not a... When, when we're trying to work out what's the best way forward for the whole tour and the event as a whole, it's, it becomes quite complicated. It's a complex puzzle to sort out, as you say. If you, if you go for a flat one to eight and you have the whole tour there, you then lose out on these fan zone areas. and so You can't have it all in one building yep. uh, unless you have something three times the size of the Barbican, you know. Um, so the, the, these are problems which, you know, no one's been more critical uh, from a constructive point of view, I have to say, so no one's been more critical than me of WST and, and, and what, what I think they could do better. But I have to say, um, for the UK Championships, um, they would be getting you know very, very strong marks from, from me and also from everyone else who I spoke to who was in attendance. I thought it was uh, very, very well put on show. Yeah, same, same for me. Everyone I spoke to when I was there, everyone I spoke to on social media or seen posts from, it's only been positive. So... Hats off to World Snooker Tour. They, they do get a lot of flat. They do get a lot of criticism. Some of it rightly so as well. Um, we've always been constructive. I, th- I think the other podcasts have as well. But they've listened. They've listened to the constructive criticism. They've made some changes. And it's phenomenal. And hopefully some of those will filter through to, to some other events. But 
the UK Championships levelled up this year. What I would go and say is, is, is for players out there that might be listening to this or read comments from this pod or whatever, it, it really does hammer home the fact that done in the right way, you know, put your things down on paper or write in or attend these meetings, put your thoughts across in a professional manner. Don't go on Twitter shouting your mouth off or on Instagram or whatever. Actually get involved. These meetings, these players groups, WPBSA players, WPBSA, they make a difference. It works. All of these ideas, all of these changes started with the players, started with these discussion points. Uh, and um, come on, guys, you, need, you, you know, we need to get involved a little bit more. Uh, you know, leave these points of view off your Facebook pages, off Twitter, get involved, come through the right channels uh, and done professionally. The, the, these things do end up, you know, certainly getting thought about. And and the fans appreciate it. You know, they, they really do. The, the reaction to, to all of you guys going in there into the Q zone and, and performing and, and, you know, knocking balls around and, and playing in there with the fans, they do appreciate it. You know, the positive comments I've seen. The video World Snooker Tours or the videos World Snooker Tour have been sharing have been absolutely phenomenal. You know, and if you're a fan going to these events, you know, we talk about how can we get crowd numbers up. If if they're going to these events, knowing there's a Q zone there, knowing there's the likes of former world champions, like the reigning Northern Ireland Open champion, the reigning Welsh Open champion, the a former world champion in Judd Trump, you know, Jack Lazowski, one of the most exciting players on the tours in there as well. They can get to meet those people maybe actually knock a ball with their cue. You know, it's, it's fin- what an opportunity. There's, there's no sports where you can do that. So if fans know that's there, they're more likely to come along, pay their money, watch the snooker, support the event. So like I say, brilliant from World Snooker Tour. The more players that get involved in those cue zones, etc., the better. Right then. Again, we're at risk of becoming a snooker podcast. So after this, Mr. Murphy, it will be time for your rant. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147 pod that's the words at 147 pod now mr murphy your your rants have been uh, have been getting some um, some spotlight on social media people are talking about your rants which is interesting and i gave you a mug today didn't i you mug a mug for a mug <laughs> a mug for a mug and what does it say on the mug three 
two, one, rant. Yes, it does. Now, we shared a video of this mug. It's got the podcast logo on one side. It's got three, two, one, rant on the other. Um, it was just a little present from me to you, Sean. Um, however, a few people have expressed an interest in these mugs. So, we may, may, I'm not saying will, we may be releasing some of these for sale. So, keep an eye on the social media feeds at 147pod, pretty much everyone on social media. Um, if you would like one, let us know. But we might be making some of those available maybe in time for Christmas as well. I mean, well. If, def- if people wanted them, like if there was interest, you know, if you, if, if you, you know, let us know if, if there's a if there's a, a keen demand for them. Uh, two or three hundred quid, weren't they, you know? <laughs> well, at nothing, least. Nothing too steep. Yeah. Someone's got to pay the butler. I'll, I'll write Balenciaga on the bottom of them or something. That makes it 400, <laughs> 500 quid straight away, doesn't it? Is that not how it works? That's how it works. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, then they may become available at some point, possibly in time for Christmas. We shall see. Anyway, Sean, now I know you're carrying an injury, you know, your neck, your back. If it's real, some people don't think it's real. I know. If it's real. Some people think he just put it on his track. Spook Jud- Did you try and just spook Judd Trump? No. Well, you I sure? I mean, I took a 20-minute taxi ride to go and buy a massage gun. Like, that wasn't part of a con. I was in... I couldn't bend my head down. It was... That's, yeah, apparently... I, someone saw him coming out of Ann Summers as well, but it's... Um, <laughs> we've used that gag twice now. We can't use it anymore. Okay. Sean, are you limbered up and are you ready? I'm ready. You have one minute and 47 seconds from the time I say rant. It will end with the klaxon... The magician, Sean Murphy. Three, two, one, rant. Well, as you all know, I've been here in York uh, for the best part of a week. In fact, more than a week. I've been here 10 days because I was here early to work with the BBC. And you get embroiled in hotel life. And one of the things about living in a hotel for a, for a 10-day period is that you don't get woken up in the morning by your children. You know, at home, the children have me up at half, five, six o'clock. So when I come over to a hotel... It is nice to have a bit of a lion. I like to wake up when I want to. I like to have the coffee on. And I don't do anything until I've watched my two or three episodes of Frasier on a morning. However, this hotel, this week, has had refurbishment works going on, on the roof of the hotel. And I'm going to find it very hard not to swear during this rant. I'm going to try. <laughs> but these, these works are scheduled to start at 9 o'clock. Every day, without fail, they've started at 8 o'clock. Every single day, there's drilling, smashing, pneumatic drills, hammering. Sounds like the couple in the next room are at it. It's been absolutely horrific for the last 10 days. I cannot wait to go home and have Harry and Molly waking me up at five in the morning. It has been ridiculous. Drilling, smashing things, tiles falling down, workmen outside on the scaffolding. Like it says they're not going to start till nine o'clock. They've been coming on far too early. It's just been ridiculous. It's so unfair. It's so stressful. And it's made the stay so unpleasant. I'm a little bit cantankerous. You can hear it. You can sense it. I'm about to boil over. But it's been the week from hell. They've been out at it every single morning. If they had hedges to trim outside my window, they'd have been doing that as well. It said nine o'clock. Why couldn't they just start at nine? Why do you have to have the drills out at 20 to nine or half? It's ridiculous. And there goes the klaxon. Right, okay. I'll I'll back you up on this, okay? But I I was just wondering, if you're not getting up till, like, gone eight o'clock, nine o'clock, what time are you getting in? Well, (laughs) depends how long the match has gone on for, doesn't it? (laughs) It depends how badly you've played the night before. 
Well, Mark Allen's all focused now, so you've not been out with Mark on a night time. He's, he's more serious. Talking of getting woken up in hotels, though, I remember in Southport, was it the... I had the Players of the Tour Championship um, just before COVID, I think it was, and the fire alarm went off at stupid o'clock in the morning. I can't remember what time it was. It went off at stupid o'clock in the morning, and I was like, oh, God, I took some clothes on, came out of the room, and as I came out of the room, Kyle... Uh, Mark Allen's mate who goes on tour with him. Kyle's coming down. He went, yeah, that'd be Mark with his toaster then. And I said, you what? 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 You? No, come on, behave yourself. And we came past and there was two hotel employees went the other way from us. And Kyle's watching him walk back and he went, yeah, that's Mark's room. Gone in and right enough, it was Mark Allen and his toaster that had set the fire alarm Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Can't even work a toaster. But how's we, he won a snooker tournament? How's can't he even two? Use, can't even use a toaster, the lad. <laughs> He's one too. Absolute joke. You're right, though. I stay in hotels an awful lot, far, far too much. And when there's work's going on and they say nine o'clock, it's never nine o'clock. Never nine o'clock. Never nine o'clock. Always eight o'clock. Every single time. And you don't want to be that person, do you, that goes down to reception and says, I'm really sorry. Uh, you know, the world's been spinning all day. You know, everyone's been at work for an hour or whatever, and I'm there moaning because the, 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 the lad's up the thing, you know, smashing the roof to pieces. But come on, like, you know. <laughs> Come on. Some of us have got Frasier to watch. Have a day off. You don't want to be that person that moans about something, Sean. You just said that on the podcast. Seriously? Yeah, no, I didn't say it stopped me. I just <laughs> didn't want to be that person, but I was. <laughs> so there we go. What do you think then? Do you stay in hotels a lot? Do you get annoyed when they start banging and crashing around in hotels when you're trying to sleep? Let us know at 147pod everywhere on social media there will be another rant from sean next podcast i am certain but for now let's move on to a few listeners questions right i'll kick us off uh lindsay feeks white on twitter lindsay's asked us a few questions actually could cues be made of anything other than wood good question what do you think well pool cues are pool cues you are. get you get carbon fiber pool cues um and and you know i think i think carbon fiber is Probably the only thing I've ever seen them made of other than wood. Um, but I know you, you can get um, Carl Boys, a friend of mine, um, who does a lot of the, the matchroom pull, the Moscone Cup, things like that. But the pull legend is Carl. He did a video on his YouTube channel of him trying out these carbon fiber cues, and some of them were good, some of them weren't. I thought for, for a long time, you know, the extensions you guys use on your cues, they, they surely should all be carbon fiber because it, it's strong and it's incredibly light. Mm. So it wouldn't affect the weight of the cue. Good thinking. And, of course, that's the problem with wood is that it's all different. Uh, carbon fibre, you just replicate it. It's the same every time. It has been tried. It, it's always been experimented with. I remember Chris Henry telling me that he had some fella in Australia working on a chalkless tip at some stage. Like many of Chris's ideas, that has fallen into nothing. Uh, but, you know, we, we've looked into um, different materials for cues. Carbon fibre is the one that keeps coming back up and... Uh, it's not something I've tried. I tried one when I was about 10 years of age. One found its way into my snooker club that I played in. It was horrible. Um, but, you know, in terms of replicating accused characteristics and performance uh, capabilities, uh, something like carbon fibre would be much better. Wood's so hard to replicate, of course. Um, and when we're playing with side spin, the cue ball doesn't go in a straight line. And learning how your cue moves the cue ball around the table is, is tiring. Um, but it would make switching cues or using different cues a lot easier if we used carbon fibre. I think it's something that, you know, as the game moves on, you'll probably see more of. But at the minute, we're still wood-based. Are there rules and regulations around it? So would there be certain things you couldn't do or could do? Or 
not to my knowledge. No, I think there are there are there are um, there are rules around uh, you know minimum lengths of queues and stuff like that. Maximum minimum maximum lengths, and uh, there may be something on tip sizes. You know, if you go really too big or too small, but um, as far as I'm aware, that you know you can you can have a bit of there's a bit of scope for manoeuvre. You know, it's funny. A couple of years ago um, at Cheltenham, when the World Grand Prix was on, we did the I think it was the final of the English Amateur Championship, and Rory McLeod was in the final, and he was using a vegan tip at the time on his queue. Well, this vegan tip, okay, it was great. Didn't actually hold the chalk, so he chalked it, struck the cue ball, and as he did, there was like a cloud of dust came up behind, and just a, a blue on the table where he'd taken the shot. By the end of the match, right, this table was absolutely covered in these chalks. It looked like a paintball match had been on. It was just covered <laughs> in chalks. Like, literally, it was an absolute mess. And it was all down to his vegan tip. just did not sort of retain the chalk after the shot. He'd chalk it, take the shot, all the chalk comes off it, onto the table, next shot, chalk everywhere. And seriously, by the end of it, the table was pretty much blue. It was horrendous. And yeah, so maybe not vegan tips, but carbon fibre cues at some point, could be a thing. Uh, Snooker Lover 6 from Twitter says, is Phil any good at snooker? No. And there's a reason why. Okay. I enjoy it. I enjoy playing snooker. And, and I play for fun occasionally with my son, um, with my youngest son. And when I go to events, I always go and have a knock in the queue zone. Always, always do. Always have done. Go out there with the fans and generally make a complete and utter idiot of myself out there. The reason being, when I was a, when I was a kid, got into snooker. Um, my dad played snooker regularly. Um, used to go with him down to the local snooker centre, um, which was Stonebow in York at that time, which is no longer there. And we would play snooker. Now, I'm horrifically colourblind, red, green, blind. Um, I make, oh, yeah. yeah, make no bones about this. The red, the green, the brown on a green table look no different to me Goodness. whatsoever. Now, well, my, you're in decent company because Peter Ebnan's the same. He is. And so Mark is Williams. Mark Williams, yeah, absolutely. But my dad would watch me at the tender age of, I don't know, 12, 13. Um, line up the green, needing a red, and the second I struck the cue ball, it'd go foul, far away. And I'd say, what are you on about? Mean. Oh, that's the green ball? Nasty. Well, yeah, but Dad, he said, son, you've got to learn. It's not a case of learning. I'm colourblind here. I can't see it. see it. You, he watched me line it up. He would watch me line it up, knowing what exactly what I was doing. And he'd let me do it. Now, because of that... <laughs> I never really, I never really got into playing. I, I, I play for enjoyment occasionally, and, and I do enjoy playing. And like I say, when we go on tour, I'm always in the queue zone, always knocking the balls around, um, and I enjoy it. I, I think I enjoy it like a lot of people do. I'm not very good at it. Um, my highest break is poor, but I enjoy playing, and and I always like to go and have a knock. And you know why not? But no, as for am I any good? No, and that's the reason why. That sounds like something directly out of the fast show. Do you remember the sketch <laughs> with competitive dad? <laughs> That's my dad. Took his six-year-old yeah. playing cricket and just kept smacking it for six. That That is exactly my dad. Toby, okay. Toby, go and get that ball from over there. Yeah, yeah. Foul, four away. What? Come on. So that's why. But if you ever see me on tour in the Q-Zone, give me a shout. I'll come and knock a few balls around with you more than happily. Okay, moving on. Jamie Allen on Twitter. Now, I like this one. This is a good one. If there was a cage fighting competition between all the players on tour... Who would win? And he adds, I think Stephen Maguire. Mags is a good shout. Yeah, Mags is a good shout. You wouldn't want a right-hander off Stephen. No. Um, I remember getting a right-hander off one of his mates once when we were kids. <laughs> and uh, we were doing a, a, an England v Scotland event. And I can't remember what this lad's name was, but he was on on the Scottish team. I was about 12. Like, we were all under 15. <laughs> like, 
And uh, we were stood backstage. I say backstage, it was in a snooker club. We were just made this makeshift area to wait whilst we were waiting to be introduced. It was like a well-supported event, like, you know, and uh, the Claude Lambie International, it was called. And um, getting to the story, we were stood backstage and I called this lad the wrong name. And instead of turning around and just telling me what his name was, he just chinned me. (laughs) (laughs) So he should. It was like something of a movie. Uh, so yeah, I think Stephen or any of his mates, yeah, they you want to avoid them. Um, I, I've thought I, I, Mark King would be a good shout. For oh, me. Mark, I bet Mark King is pretty handy. I'd you know? say Mark could be. Yeah. Mark could be. Mark could be pretty handy, unless it was Quinton who, who he was up against because they had a bit. They did have a run in, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They yeah. did. Um, Quinton and Andy Hicks nearly came to blows at the end of a match at the Crucible, and Mark stepped in and said, "I tell you what, you know, let's have a fight for charity, sort it out." And I think Quinton, no one had told Mark, Quinton actually did box as an amateur. He, was, <laughs> he, he actually could box. And, um, yeah, I think he spanked him around the ring. But, well, you know, Mark King would be my shout. Mark King, yeah, that, that's not a bad shout at all. Um, I'm trying to think who there is. Is this big, um, big Kuldesh Johal? He'd Cully. be pretty handy. Big Cully. Cully. He's a size. He's, what, he's six foot, six foot five, six foot six. He's Soul a big lad. lad. Yeah, if he hit, he'd stay hit. But he's he's too nice, so isn't he, Cully? He's all smiles. I don't know. I don't know if he had the he'd have the dog in him to do it. I, don't, I think he'd be a bit too nice. But yeah, Mark King, Stephen Maguire. I think they're they're decent shouts. My my wild card would be Jamie Jones. Jamie Jones. Jamie Jones because he's fit. I reckon he's all muscle. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's a marathoner, isn't he? He's, yeah. a, he's a runner. He's, he's going to be fit. What big Yambing Tao? Yeah, no. No? No. You're not having Yan Bintao? Not having Yan Bintao, no. He's a physical present. He'd probably play safe all day. <laughs> Just jog his way around the cage. You could well be right. Uh, Adam Varley on Twitter says, We both deal with celebrities all the time, but have you ever really been starstruck? Oh, right. Um, oh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm terrible with celebrities on account of the fact that I often don't know who they are. I, yeah. I don't watch any of these reality TV programs and stuff like that. So I've, I've been introduced to people at boxing shows who are from the, the only way is Chelsea and the, the Essex one and, and all these. And they're like, oh, the Essex one. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. And <laughs> I get introduced to these people. And I remember Frank Maloney, who's now, who's now Kelly, introduced me to this guy. I won't say who he is. Introduced me to this guy. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's very nice to meet you. What do you do? And Frank looked, and he's like, oh, God, I'm sorry about Phil. He's from York. Was That was his exact situation. I'm sorry about Phil. He's from York, as if to say we've not yet got television sort of north of Watford yet, so how would I know? <laughs> but I'm terrible with stuff like that. But, but as for being starstruck, um, I think the one time, really, I mean, I, I don't think starstruck, I, I mentioned about when Jimmy held it off me in Watford and, and mentioned my name. That wasn't starstruck. That was just more shocked that Jimmy White knew my name. Starstruck, I was working on a boxing show in London for ITV. Um, it was Eubank Jr.'s first world title fight against Reynold Quinlan. And on the ITV commentary team was Lennox Lewis and Andre Ward. Andre Ward at the time, pound for pound, best boxer in the world. Lennox Lewis is the heavyweight I grew up watching. And Chris Eubank Sr. was running late for the weigh-in. So the ITV guys were like, oh, Phil, we're in this shopping centre in London. Can you go up on stage and interview Lennox and Andre? I was just like, yeah, absolutely I can. And they came up, and for the first 10 seconds, I was stood next to Lennox Lewis, just sort of looking at him, thinking, oh, my word, that's Lennox Lewis. And, you know, 
he's, he's a lovely guy away from everything he's a really lovely guy and the next day we're doing like a rehearsal for the for the show and I'm in a room with Lennox and, and Andre Ward and Lennox was making us a cup of tea while me and Andre Ward were talking about our kids and it was like the most natural thing it was it was so normal and you know it's one thing to be starstruck but they are just normal people and then later on that night I'm I'm leaning over getting something from one of the guys in the board of control and someone grabbed my bum like grabbed my properly grabbed my phone. I was like, "What the hell's going on?" Turn round, and it's Lennox Lewis laughing away at me, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm no longer starstruck." He's just grabbed my bum for goodness' sake. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I, similar to you. I, I, I've never really been like uh, starstruck. I, I, you know, I would have some like heroes in in, in other sports that you know I've not met, uh, and maybe some musicians like you know an Elton John. I've been to Elton John concerts and stuff, and. Billy Joel and people like that, you know, I've, but I've never found myself in their company. I think, you know, maybe if I ever did, um, I'd probably be starstruck with that because, you know, they're like real genuine heroes of mine or someone like a Roger Federer or somebody like that. You know, I'd, I'd probably struggle with that. I, I think I had a very similar experience, though, like to what the one you've just described of when you meet someone who, you, you know, you've looked up to, but and they know you like, you know, that that's that was weird. I remember way back in 2006 going being invited to go to Wimbledon. And um, got got tickets and was in the the players' lounge. There was in the guest lounge, like you know, we've got pims on draft and all this, you know. And um, just sit sat there minding my own business, just you know, wanting to keep it very new that world to me at the time. I just won the world title, uh, I'd just been invited to a few things and sports personality of the year and whatnot. And um, just sat there, not really making eye contact with anyone, very nervous. And uh, Boris Becker came over and sat down next to me, and he went. Hello, Sean. How are you? Nice to meet you. Wow. And I remember thinking, geez, that's a that's a bit of a moment that like, you know, I'd watched tennis all my life. And um, yeah, that was that was a that was a really weird one. But yeah, um, I think if I, you know, if I suddenly found myself uh, in like Elton John's company or something, you know, being such a big you know, piano fan and very, very, very amateur pianist, um, I'd probably go all wobbly. So there you go. So Sean met Boris Becker. Next week on Sean's Convict Friends. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what have I got here? I've got um, Parada Darling on Twitter. Strange name. If you were giving advice to a beginner with a limited budget, would you advise they spend more money on a decent queue or on lessons? Great question. Really good question. What do you think? What would you do first? Uh, lessons. Yeah, lessons. Lesson, Le- lessons. Lessons to me. Cue, lessons. Cue, cue's a cue. You, you get that later. I think. Lessons all day. Uh, you know, get some good lessons in place. Uh, you know, start from the right point. The whole, you know, get the foundations right and all of that stuff. You can't go wrong. Get some really good lessons. You know, find a, a WPBSA accredited coach uh, and, and, you know, and go from there. Stephen Hendry's cue that he won all seven world titles with and, the vast majority of every other event from like the 80s and the 90s. That queue, uh, I think, cost him around 25 quid uh, out of the rack in the club that he grew up playing in and was as bent as a banana. You wouldn't poke the fire with it. It was rubbish. (laughs) But for him, you know, he knew it. He understood how it worked and all the rest of it. Cost pennies uh, and he won seven world titles with it. There you go. So in answer to your question, Parada, darling, I think we are saying lessons... Patrick H, 1984, on Instagram. If Ronnie is now the GOAT, greatest of all time, where is John Higgins? Brackets, I have him at number two. That's that's a good one. Good one. That is a good one. I, I, do you know, he's right up there. I don't think he's number two. 
No, he's not number two. I don't think he's number two. I think you've got to have Hendry in at number two. Um, any, any, any. Um, I think all civilized people agree that you know the argument's been about Hendry or Ronnie. Yeah. Uh, I think we can all accept that Ronnie is now the goat. Uh, so Hendry has to be two, doesn't he, on that list? Higgins, Higgins for me is top five. Yeah. He's Definitely, top five. Yeah. Um, the problem is there's about eight players could be in the top five. The, it's such know, a hard debate to have. There really is. It rages on social this all yeah, the time. Yeah, it does. And it and it's a big one. Um, he's top five. That That's without really digging into it, which we may do in a future a future podcast. For me, he is top five every day of the week. It's, it's Ronnie at number one. It's Stephen at number two. There's an argument for John at number three. Um, he's certainly three, four or five for me yourself. Yeah, no, I, I I would agree with that. Problem is, you've got Williams floating around, Selby there, Davis. Yeah, you know these people have all got to be in the top five as well, and there just isn't enough room. Yeah. So, like you said, there's about eight of them that need to be in the top five. So um, <laughs> he's certainly up there. So I think we'd cover that one. Uh, Reese Avenue on Instagram. Um, if you had to pick one director, one actor, and one composer, all to make a film, who would you choose? Oh, it's the easiest question of all time. Oh, here we go. Go on. Director Scorsese. Okay. Actor Pacino. You, you're basically saying Godfather here, aren't you? No, this blows Godfather out of the water. Composer, John Williams. Not the, oh. snoo- not the snooker referee. John Williams. Well, we are in York, and John Williams, he's either from York or he went to York University. Well, there's a the big difference in that. There is, Which there, one is it? Well, he spent time here. He oh, spent good. time here. That, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> shall, I, shall I consult Google? You <laughs> <laughs> can do if you like. I don't know. James Dude, Judy Dench is from York. Is she? Well. She is, yeah. Her dad was a dentist, Dr. Dench. He was a dentist in New York. That's weird, isn't it? There you go. Yeah. And Chris Finch from the office, Ralph Anderson, he's from York. Big My children's fan. dentist is called Dr. Tooth. No. Dr. Toot, they say. Dr. In, Toot, in, really? They call really? her Dr. Toot Dr. Toot, yeah, that's Dr. amazing. Toot. There used to be a doctor at York Hospital who's Dr. D-A-T-H, D-E apostrophe A-T-H. Cheers. So yeah, Dr. Death, wonderful. What, what's your, hang on, before you skip on, what's your director, actor and composer? Oh, do you know? Right. Um, director and actor. I think Scorsese. I think Scorsese is a great shout. Yeah. Um, actor. That's a really difficult one. Really, really difficult one. I, Robin Williams for me was a, a legend as an actor. I think he was fantastic as a stand-up, and as an actor was absolutely fantastic. So I'd go with Robin Williams. Right, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this one for composer a little bit. Okay. I've mentioned Tim Minchin on the podcast before. Tim Minchin has, has scored musicals, he's scored films, he's got the new Matilda film coming out shortly. Tim Minchin, amazing composer, great for film scores. So I'm going to say Tim Minchin, just to be a little bit different. So we agree on Scorsese. We actually agree on something there, Sean. How weird. It's never happened. It doesn't, does it? Next up, what we got? Uh, let me get this question here. Uh, Andrea Deeru on Instagram. Definitely not said that surname right. <laughs> uh, 2012 O'Sullivan versus a 1991 Hendry. Who wins? Snooker wins. Snooker wins. That's Snooker's who wins. The Snooker's the winner. Come on. What? Oh, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. It really would. Um, I'm trying to think what haircuts I had in... Uh, in 2012 and 91, did Henry still Henry still have the spiky mullet? Uh, 91, Henry had the the worst mullet ever seen yeah, on he TV. Did. Um, I think he was going for the Pat Sharp. Yep. More like Postman Pat. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> Do you know what? I think in, in haircuts, I'll give it to Ronnie um, over Henry. 
on the table, it's a pick 'em for me. I, I, I actually was I actually answered this seriously, Andrea, because I, I felt I you needed to treat your question with respect, other than like Phil. Um O'Sullivan's the answer. Uh because Hendry he wouldn't allow Hendry in. He, his safety in defensive game just would never have allowed Stephen the chances. Stephen obviously was the greatest of his era uh, and the biggest break builder until Ronnie came along. But O'Sullivan would have tied him up in knots as well as having that you know amazing long potting and, and break building game. Um, Stephen didn't really have a, 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 a safety game, a defensive game. But, it, but of course, he didn't really need it. Uh, things change, standards change. Um, so the answer is O'Sullivan. Okay, there you go. Um, right, the last one before we come on to our pointless question. Uh, Wineman147 on Instagram, our friend Lee Isaacs. If you bought Twitter, like Elon Musk just has, what's the first thing you would change? Very good question, this. Have you got an answer? I've got two answers. Oh. Because I'm greedy. Oh. Uh, all right, well, I wonder if one of them will be this. Uh, the first thing I would do is make it that to have, an inst- uh, to have a Twitter account you have to show some form of identification. That was one of mine, was everyone verified. Everyone, you have to know who you are. Everyone verified, They've yeah, identification to open the account. The account has to bear your name. The the at doesn't have to be your name. But like mine says, at announcer Phil, and then underneath, Phil Seymour. Um, that was one of mine. Was, it just allows it yeah. just allows too much uh, too much uh, you know trolling and bullying and anonymous people you know say you know just just being allowed to lurk in the shadows. Yeah, uh, shouldn't be allowed. Verification for everyone. The other one I was going to say was, and I think I think Neil Robertson actually replied to Elon Musk just after he bought Twitter, and he said something like, "Come on, you've owned it for a day. Where's the edit button?" Because you cannot edit tweets. You can edit Instagram posts. You can edit Facebook posts. With a tweet, you either leave it where it is or you delete it. You cannot edit them. So I put an edit button on there. How difficult is it? Everyone else manages, for goodness sake. Well, it's one of those things. Maybe I should start a campaign because I, 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 I seem to have a bit of pull. Uh, I tweeted WhatsApp years ago and said, come on, lads, what you need is an unread filter button. It's now there. I'm not saying it was me, but I asked for it and got it. Wow, that's an unread filter button. Got some pull, me, you know. That's what it is. You Got must some have. Pull. You must have. Do you know what? Actually, let, let's do one more question then. Before we go, we'll ask one more question. James M. Shakes on Instagram. Uh, when you visit Clandidno in Wales, this is for Sean. Have you played much golf there? And he says, I would recommend Conway Neff and Harlick. Um, also, any tips on lining up a shot? Should I pause on my backswing? I think he means snooker on the second one. <laughs> I'm hoping so. But have you yeah. played much golf in North Wales? Never played golf in North Wales. Uh, is I'm led to believe it's beautiful. I've got lots of players, friends who play at like North Wales Golf Club and stuff like that near Clandudno. And I always mean to take my clubs. Um, of course, I've not qualified for the events that have been there in recent years. The, the players' champs or tour champs haven't been in them since pre-pandemic. So um, I think as it stands, I'm guaranteed World Grand Prix. Welsh, Welsh Opens there this year. Welsh Opens there this year. The Scottish Opens not in Clandudno this not, year. Not this Shock year. Shock horror. Not yet. <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, definitely be there, and I'd love to get some golf in. Uh, in terms of the snooker, I'm going to s- assume, James, that you're asking a snooker-related question here. Any tips on lining up a shot, and should you pause at the top of your backswing? Well, um, as everyone knows, uh, I am an ambassador for Sightright, uh, and I would always recommend their methods. Uh, find yourself a Sightright coach and, and, and learn how to set up and sight to a shot. And in terms of the backswing, should you be pausing at the end of it? Absolutely. But make it a pause and not a halt, uh, and you'll be on to a winner. 
There you go. Okay, they were our listeners' questions. If you've got a question for us, at 147pod across all social media, as you've heard, we try and get in as many as we can. They definitely don't have to be about snooker. We kind of like the ones that aren't, actually. In fact, we like a good mix. So any questions at all you'd like to get in, that's at 147pod. So to finish, our pointless question comes in from a listener, actually. Rob Francis on Twitter says, if you could replace your left hand with anything, what would you choose? Yeah, I mean, I... I I found this much more difficult than I should have done. (laughs) For the ridiculous question, I've spent far too long thinking about this. Um, I mean, like a phone, it's always in my hand anyway. Uh, A bottle opener, a universal remote control, uh, snooker chalk. Snooker chalk? Blocker chalk. So you can just Just chalk your cue whenever. (laughs) Whenever the need, whenever the desire took you. Off we go. Brilliant. I'm I'm gonna go with Sean Murphy's debit card. Oof. So I could just wander around just just tapping my left hand on everything and just paying for things using your debit sure card. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get days. much tap out of that, I can assure you that. All right, then Mark Allen's debit Mark card. Mark Allen's right debit card. <laughs> Not last year, but Let's now. Go Mark to the Allen's Bahamas, please. <laughs> get the holiday booked. We're getting Mark's card out. Brilliant. So there you go. There's lots of things. What would you do? What would you replace your left hand with? Keep it clean, okay? <laughs> On social media, at 147pod, what would you replace your hand left hand with if you could choose? Now what we've got coming up then, you've got German Masters qualifiers? German Masters qualifiers started today, immediately after the UK Championships. They're going on as we speak, and um, I play in that on Friday morning. If I win that, I play Saturday morning, uh, and that'll be the German done for me until February, hopefully. It's one of my favourite tournaments, that, and uh, I, I always try desperately hard, you know, not only because I loved going to Berlin, but with the with the trophy being the Brandon Parker trophy, obviously there's a strong connection there. So I'll be trying with everything I've got to win those matches, and then I'm straight hot-footing it up uh, to Edinburgh, for the Scottish Open. Yeah, fantastic. Do you know Yourself? what? I'm, I'm not far from Germany when the German Masters is on, doing a bit of work. So I might I might try and uh, divert my route ever so slightly and pop to Berlin because it's one of those events I've always wanted. I've been to Berlin, beautiful city, incredible city, seen the Tempodrome from the outside, never been inside. I'd love to go to German Masters. So I may try and divert there somehow if I can to get to that. What am I up to? Right, I've got... This Thursday, I'm in Minehead for the night before the Players' Championship darts, which there is a snooker link. We have what we call Sports Stars darts. We have the Legends darts, the likes of Wayne Mardle, Daryl Fitton, people like that playing. And then we have Sports Stars darts as that? well. How's Wayne got in? Because he, he plays darts, or he used to play darts. Used to play, yeah. Okay, but we've got Sports Stars darts. So last year, we had Spencer Oliver, the boxer, former European champion, up against David Seaman. He won last year, did Spencer. So this year, he has a shot of retaining his title, and he's playing the Nugget, Steve Davis, at darts. Have you ever seen Steve play darts? Never seen him play darts, no. That could be interesting. So that is Thursday night. I'm on that. I've got a boxing show Saturday night in Rotherham, I think. And then next week, I too will be up to Edinburgh, to the uh, the Meadowbank Arena, I think it is, Um, in Edinburgh. New venue, new city for us. It's always been Glasgow in the past. So the Meadowbank Arena, um, I shall be there. I'm travelling up the Thursday. I'm there from the quarterfinal stages onwards. So given your performance here in York, Sean, will you still be there Thursday? Well, I took my uh, had my sparkly suit here, as everyone saw. 
and I had my moonwalking shoes with me just in case. I thought I might be in the final. I'm I'm going to live up to my commitment. If I get through to a final, I'm going to moonwalk into the arena. It could be next week. You better do. I'm not being funny now. If you don't moonwalk in, there will be questions asked. There will be there'll be words had on this podcast and other places. I'm absolutely sure. I better learn how to moonwalk. Absolutely, you should. So there you go. We'll be German Masters qualifiers this week. I'll be down in Minehead. Boxing on Saturday night for me. And then next week is all about the Scottish Open. You, of course, can watch it live on Eurosport Discovery+. Plus. I'll be there on the microphone from the quarterfinals. Sean will be there from the start with his cue. Have a great time. Catch up with us on social media at 147pod. We will be back in two weeks, the day after Sean Moon walks out to the final of the Scottish Open <laughs> in Edinburgh. Until then, Sean, thank you very much. See you later. Take care. Cheers. That was the 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you enjoyed what you've just listened to, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's all words at 147pod. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.